Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Scripture reading this morning comes with a disclaimer. I... I have kind of a personal grudge against um, paraphrased translations of the Bible. This is sort of a, a thing that may not even be on your radar at all. There are some translations of the Bible where the people who are doing the translation try to translate every word so that the complexities and contradictions and subtleties of the text are part of what's presented to you. And then there are paraphrase transitions where they realize, you know, all that complexity is hard to navigate. So let's just tell you, tell you kind of in a paraphrase what the scripture says. And the reason why that bothers me is I think the person paraphrasing is doing the interpretation for you when you read. And, um, I feel suspicious of someone else's translation. But in this case, I thought they did a really good job. <laughs> so I'm going to read the, the paraphrase version from the message, and then um, just for the sake of, just so I can sleep tonight, I'm gonna read the last verse um, out of the NIV. This is from the message. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something that you don't agree with. Even when it seems they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. <laughs> Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another, with a different background, might assume she should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. <laughs> and now uh, the fourth verse again from the NIV. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall and they will be upheld for the Lord is able to make them stand. I still remember what it was like to visit a church for the first time. It took me several minutes to be able to navigate the hymnal. 
I could see words on the page, but I was baffled about how to access them in the correct order. I mean, you don't read a hymnal the way you would read a normal paragraph or a poem. There's a knack to it. You only read the first line, and then you skip down and read the next first line, and then you do that until you run out of first lines, and then you go back and read the second line. No one is born with that knowledge. <laughs> At least I wasn't. Nor did I grow up with liturgy. I grew up with stories about mind control and alien abduction. <laughs> to this day, I am unnerved when the congregation reads something in a single monotonous voice. <laughs> oh Lord, hear our prayer. There's something about that flattened cadence and inflection that makes me think of pod people and the Stepford wives. <laughs> It just creeps me out. <laughs> Going to church was a cross-cultural experience for me. Some of those cultural differences were apparent on day one. Other features of church culture took me longer to grasp. Over the years, I have learned to brace myself whenever someone reads from Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is one of the most beautiful, powerful passages in the entire Bible. With just a few words, Jesus turns the whole universe upside down. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Jesus redirects the pursuit of God away from shining temples and soaring halls of power. Jesus tells us that we serve God when we serve those most in need. This remarkable idea continues to challenge and inspire me. But in all my years of attending church, I don't remember anyone ever reading Matthew 25 in order to talk about how hard this is. No one reads Matthew 25 in order to plead mercy for the goats. Instead, people use this passage as a kind of leverage. I've seen this happen over and over. I've probably done it myself. If you want to motivate people to take some specific action, all you have to do is read Matthew 25 and make it clear that refusing to volunteer is tantamount to leaving Jesus himself <laughs> out in the cold with no socks or a crust of bread. Thanks to Matthew 25, you can bait your programmatic hook with Jesus himself. Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it unto me. Bam, now will you make a donation. <laughs> Matthew 25 is the rocket fuel of rhetorical leverage in the Christian world. You can identify a need and then imply that failure is an act of betrayal towards Jesus himself. Ultimately, this is a challenge we can never meet. Every prisoner you have not gone to visit has a divine claim against you. Every hungry person that you haven't fed 
can call upon Jesus as a witness for the prosecution. What have you done for Syrian refugees? What have you done for factory workers in Bangladesh or child soldiers in Uganda? What have you done for sea otters in the rainforests of Brazil? What have you done about rising sea levels? What have you done about drone strikes and racial profiling in the drinking water in Flint, Michigan? The needs are endless. Right now, someone is suffering terribly. Hundreds of people in ways that are psychological, physical, social. The needs are overwhelming. In every case, I believe that Jesus stands with those who suffer. Jesus suffers in more ways than I can comprehend. The suffering is far, far greater than my capacity to provide relief. I can't even come close. The difference I can make is marginal. Even where I have acted, my impact is like that of a single raindrop on a vast arid landscape. I just don't have the power to do it all. At least some of the time, I am counted among the goats. As a self-confessed goat, I want to plead for a more nuanced conversation. I don't think we should use Matthew 25 as a way to coerce one another. Coercion isn't healthy. It is a shallow soil. Getting people to conform may feel productive in the short term, but the fruits of conformity are bitter and hard. Friends, hear the good news. We do not serve the need. The need is overwhelming, but the need is not our master. The need doesn't determine who we are because Jesus identifies with those in need. We can be tempted to move from serving Jesus to serving the need itself, but the need will kill us. The need is beyond us. We don't serve the need. Jesus is far more gentle than the ocean of need that surrounds us. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. By serving Jesus, we have room to discern which needs are ours to carry. We can discern which sacrifices are ours to make. We can let Jesus hold responsibility for all the needs of the world. Our job is more limited. Our job is not to solve every problem. Our job is to go where we are sent. Keeping that layer of God's authority between ourselves and all the needs that surround us 
can protect us from being overwhelmed. This is the shelter of being a servant. Someone else is in charge. That realization can bring relief. It's not our job to do it all. It's our job to do as we are directed. Once again, I think the body of Christ can inform our understanding of what it means to be a servant. We all serve the body in different ways. Paul writes, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as God chose. Ears are not underperforming eyes. Hands and lungs and kneecaps are not underperforming eyes. Each part of the body has its own role to play. Something very important would be lost if all parts of the body were coerced into a single function. In fact, that sort of conformity would be fatal. If we are healthy, our service will not look the same. We need to expect that people will serve differently. Other people will find energy in things that do not interest us. Other people will have patience where we have none. Other people will feel urgent about things that seem peripheral to us. This is the sign of a healthy body at work. I think we feel more pressure to get everyone on the same page if we do envision ourselves as serving the need. Because the need is so, er so overwhelming, we want everyone to line up like hoplites on the field of battle. But if we keep a layer of God's authority between ourselves and the needs that surround us, then we can remember that we are not alone, nor are we in charge. We are simply tools in the hands of a master. Each one of us has the freedom to function as we are meant to function. We can more easily accept that others will function differently. Serving Jesus gives us room to discern which needs are ours, truly ours, to carry. We can discern which sacrifices, and there will be sacrifices, are ours to make. We can let Jesus hold responsibility for all the needs of the world and know our job is more limited. And we can know that others will be assigned to tasks that are not ours to carry. Friends, what are the needs that demand your service? What are the responsibilities that you can surrender into the hands of God? How have you been called and equipped to serve? How do you see yourself connected to those who serve in ways that are different from the path before you?